But a different one, where we do not focus on new shiny, shiny gadgets, but on our relationship with technology and how to best use it and prevent unnecessary waste. My name is Ugo Valauri, and I'm going to be your host for today. And together with two of our restart uh, volunteers, Ten, Hiya, and Dave. Hi. So we have Dave coming back for. A new show but it's the first time we have 10 here with us and today we have lots in store for us to discuss uh, between fixes at previous events we had a fantastic event uh, last Tuesday in Brixton at the Remakery but we have also interesting news that we picked on social media and around the internet but we wanted to first get started introducing 10 who's been repairing with us for how long? Two years now, I think. Two years. So how did you initially get interested in Restart? So I'm a member of the London Hackspace and I was editing a little events page. So just looking for interesting things. And somehow it came into my radar that there was this event in uh, Archway in Brixton. And it was uh, the concept of repair. It's something... It's like, why didn't this exist before? So yeah, I was straight there. I was very, very late and he totally had shut down by the time I arrived, but I ended up helping with a record player. There was an extended party after the restart party. Well, so. it, it does happen sometimes. <laughs> the repair does take time often and uh, extra care. So you became immediately very much into it and I would say uh, an ambassador for Restart, I guess connecting some of the communities, not just the repair community and the makers community as well, because I think too often there doesn't seem to be enough of a connection between the two somehow. It's strange, yeah, it, it, it's like it should naturally be there. Um, uh, Janet's talked a lot about the relationship between people making things and repairing things and creating new things it's kind of the same thing but there's uh, it's in general our relationship with waste and technology is strange yeah yeah um in fact janet is right now uh today um part of an event actually looking at um the future of making and sustainability it's happening at machine rooms uh one of london's many exciting maker spaces um but ten how did you originally get into fixing things or taking them apart uh, probably through uh, my father was a prodigious skip diver and i and i and i and i and i took taken out so i've always been taking there's always been things around to fiddle with and play with like um uh what i share with dave i a love of bikes so th that there's a mechanical relationship there and then a very long time ago, I wanted to be a hacker, so that's my, my that's kind of how my relationship with technology started. Right, and the issue with bikes and repairing things uh, that are more technological, Dave, how how do you think these two connect? Oh yeah, there's we were talking about this earlier. There's a very close relationship. There are a lot of people who repair bikes, repair their own stuff. Because bikes, unlike cars, especially these days, repairing a car is a major job. My grandfather used to maintain his own car, and he had all the tools to do it. He could literally strip it down to its 
component parts and put it back together. These days, of course, there's far too much complexity, emission regulations and so on. So you can't really do that. Whereas a bike, of course, is great. You can see everything. It's exposed. So often people who fiddle with bikes fiddle with other things. Yeah. Uh, also, there are plenty of analogies between, for instance, the way that you can upgrade your bike, you know, in the same way you can upgrade, say, a laptop. Yeah, we talked about this kind of thing before. So, But can you really upgrade a laptop the same way you would upgrade a bike at this stage? Yes and no. There are things you can do. Um, for instance, one of our fellow repairers, Toshi, very enthusiastic about the idea of upgrading your old laptop by putting a solid-state disk into it. So what what is exactly a solid-state disk drive? I, mean, I don't think all of our listeners would know straight away. Okay, um, the traditional computer disk drive literally consists of a rotating piece of metal that right. you record magnetic signals onto, just like a record player in some ways. So it's limited by how fast you can spin that disk. So that's the traditional hard drive in your computer. And apart from being noisy, heat-generating, slow and inefficient, they wear out. The new trend is for things called solid-state disks, which are is a bit of a bad name, really, because it's not a disk anymore. It's just a big bank of memory. And it's so dense that it can replace a disk in terms of capacity. So what are the things that it can do much faster than a traditional disk? Uh, well, you know when you switch your computer on and it takes ages to actually start up? Yeah. Usually you can say that, that will take a quarter of the time, for instance, sometimes even better. I've seen computers boot up in a couple of seconds with a solid-state disk. Right. So, And even if they're very old computers, that still apply. Oh, yeah, very much. The time to start a computer is mostly the time to read all of the operating system and all the other stuff it needs off of the disk, off the hard drive. So if you replace that with something 10 times faster, guess what? It starts up 10 times faster. Mm. Similarly, when you're loading programs, looking through big files, doing editing of huge photographs, anything that involves shuffling large amounts of data around will be a lot faster with a solid-state drive. Excellent. Well, in, in fact, Toshi uh, came up with this uh, idea that you should give your computer a different age uh, after replacing <laughs> the hard drive. So he claims that if a computer is, say, six years old, it's actually only one year old, because the processing power hasn't increased in the past years so dramatically compared with the speed of reading the data from new hard drives. So you can actually continue happily using a fairly old computer as long as you increase maybe a bit the memory and um, change the hard drive. So Ten, uh, I wanted to ask you, What's been your most successful or exciting repair that you've ever done at one of these community restart parties? I think it's the coffee grinder is 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 the legend. Uh, it was it was it was all the things came together beautifully. What although it, although initially it was it was it was a, it was a struggle, but it was it, I think you know when you come through adversity, you uh, you, you gain from it. So it was it was a it was Hernhill Market. It was an was outdoor it? event. It was an outdoor event, which is which is kind of strange because your your the your access to tools and the access to electricity is limited. So I was I was skeptical at first. It was my first outdoor 
restart event, but it was it ended up it was a beautiful day. Um, we were actually we we didn't have much room, so I ended up sitting on the floor in the sun, which is which, which is quite nice. Which actually also plays an important role in 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 making repair more publicly accessible and more visible. We we spoke with Dave in the past about the importance of repair as a performance. And so, yeah, being there right where lots of people are in a market is quite key. Yeah, it was nice. So people were just coming past. I'm not sure the person who we I ended up really engaging with the person. And, that, and that, that's a great thing. One of the things we 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 struggle with it. Sometimes it's a nice challenge. Sometimes it's a struggle. We don't know. Um, what people are going to bring. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we can prepare. And that's uh, that I would say my second uh, favorite repair was a TV. And I managed I managed to do a lot of research and I learned a lot about TVs and that was that was another great repair. But uh, with the coffee grinder I, I, we did we, I didn't know what I was going to get on the day, but they uh, What well, was the problem with it? Um it it was um it was not switching on. Um but when I when it was it wasn't um, consistent, which is a, 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 a f- one thing that's worse than something that's totally broken. It's something that's uh, inc- inconsistent. But yeah, it would, we'd plug it in. It would, sometimes it would spin. Sometimes it wouldn't. So, this was a historic coffee grinder f- back from the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a vintage, uh, vintage, and, uh, and and very solid, solidly built, and and the brand. Was it last on last week's show? You were talking about meal and brawn. It may have been a meal or a brawn coffee grinder. Yeah. So there's something about the good old industrial design of this German brands mostly, and but that device will probably not have been seen as repairable or worth repairing from many shops, even in a big city like London. Absolutely. Yeah. It's. Um, in the end, it is just a spinning blade with a AC motor, and that was the key to me repairing it. Was taking knowledge I already had from my GCSE physics lessons, which you, who would have thought that would have ever become useful? But yeah, take note if you're young and listening. Absolutely, yeah. These 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 uh, sciences, science it will is great. all come handy at one point. <laughs> some of it, yeah. <laughs> some of it will. Um, yeah, take up all the knowledge you can while while it's being offered to you, especially if it's being offered for free. Right. <laughs> um, so, so you you were a bit stuck, I remember that time. And then, I think one magical thing that happened is, and it's at the heart of restart parties, is that someone else from the repair community, someone else of the restarters, actually had useful knowledge and together you managed to find a solution. Absolutely. It was a team effort. Sometimes you get lost in, you know, although it wasn't a very complicated device, you still get, you think, oh, could it be a switch? Could it, you know, well, what's the problem here? So I had to step back and I was, I, I was, I was getting frustrated. And there's a great photo of just my hands in a very frustrated pose, which is kind of iconic. Um, and so I asked a, uh, for a second pair of eyes on the problem. Um, and we just talked through what could, how, the, how an AC motor works. And yeah, it just needed a little bit of a clean at the right place. It was actually where the brushes contact the spinning part and it was fine. It just needed a clean. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny when that happens, and it happens quite often when you think there's some incredibly complicated electronic fix that needs happening, and instead maybe a little nice brush up or 
a bit of a compressed air, depending on the device, it does make a difference. Yeah. Or loose wire. The classic right. one is a loose wire. I've had several vacuum cleaners that people say, oh, yeah, well, it works sometimes. And the clue is that generally they move it around and it starts working. And at that point, you know that actually there's a break in the mains cable. So you just shorten off the mains cable, use the part that still works. And voila, you've got a working vacuum cleaner with five minutes work. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, talk a bit more about what happened last Tuesday at the Remakery, which is a fantastic community space in the heart of Brixton, where we've now run two community restart parties and we look forward to running more. And I highly recommend that if you're in the area, you go and check out the space. We had a very successful event, one of those brilliant moments where almost everything that people bring gets repaired and at times it's easy and at times less easy but a very very positive day and I personally um, ended up helping a couple of people who brought Nexus Android phones so smartphones released directly by Google um, that had developed battery related issues so they were either not holding much charge or they weren't um, switching on at all. So what we did is both people, both women who own these devices, were very keen to fix it themselves. And they had gone the extra mile uh, buying a spare battery to repair the device. And one case struck me particularly because this woman, uh, Paula, actually had gone to a shop looking for advice because this phone wouldn't switch on all of a sudden. And she was quoted something like £80 just to have a look at it. And that thing normally does discourage people um, and make them think, well, maybe I should just wait for the next upgrade, which is exactly what we try to help people not to have to do. Uh, and uh, so she did take the phone apart and then came in contact with a bigger issue which is how do you detach a battery in these smartphones where uh, manufacturers are increasingly using quite a lot of adhesive to glue the battery to the rest of the device. Now we know that this is quite a dangerous part of a repair and because these batteries can be quite dangerous, right? Yeah, um, lithium-ion batteries, which is what most of these phones use, do have a reputation. What can happen is if they overheat, they will start to swell up and possibly, I, I think explode is a bit an exaggeration, but they will actually start leaking chemicals out at high speed. So be careful with that. Don't start stabbing it with a knife or whatever. Well, there is a second issue, which is when you find a battery that actually is glued to a device, you have to put some pressure in order to yeah. detach it from the device. And if you ever were to try this at home, you should never use something that could um, punctuate the battery. So yeah. you should always just act very carefully with a plastic, they call them spudgers. Anyway, something that would progressively put pressure but never forcefully on the battery. Because if you do puncture the battery, it will actually go on fire. And we've all seen videos of this, very instructive videos on the internet. Do never try this at home. It could be lethal. And this is the type of fires that cannot be... Um, 
extinguished with water, by the way. So it's really dangerous. But basically, the question that I had is, why is it the manufacturers add a layer of adhesive to these batteries? Okay, I would think, since it's not necessary, um, because the case obviously will hold the battery inside, it only needs a very small dab of adhesive to actually hold the battery still for the life of the phone. I suspect it's purely laziness. They just put some certain measured amount of adhesive in there. It's probably the same adhesive they used to hold the screens on, for instance. It'll be a fairly standard solvent-based adhesive, which in itself will be... Um, I, I think only a product designer will tell us. We need, a, we need a guest product designer on the show. Can we... Do we have an engineer in the house who might... Well, yesterday I... Re I uh repaired my own phone screen phone screen and the youtube video i watched said that a lot of phone manufacturers now apply adhesive to waterproof phones ah. the sony that you've got there is a case in point actually anyway well, the thing the fact that it is applied is understandable maybe while the manufacturing takes place so that if robots are <laughs> uh, moving it around it doesn't move any further but it, it still begs the question if you're using too much of it, so much of it, you're making it very hard, even for someone professional, to swap the battery. And lots of people have been saying, well, we should get used to this because ultimately it's not really that relevant, um, given that uh, on batteries do last quite much longer than they used to, and we should not have to swap them for a new battery during the life cycle of a phone, which we no is just not true um, in fact both cases we saw uh, last tuesday the battery was the problem that was preventing the two participants to use their phone again and in one case the battery once it got swapped uh, it the phone worked straight away again and so a phone that was declined uh, that had a declare a repair declined uh, became a usable phone again the second phone had a battery the new battery was actually faulty so that actually brings out new issues around how you procure uh, valid spare parts for your device but anyway it is an issue that lots of people should be uh, thinking about when their phone starts performing a bit less how old were those phones one in one case it was uh two and a half years and in the other case were not even two years old so these were phones that are completely fine still supported software wise completely and people might start thinking okay well maybe i should just upgrade if the battery is failing on me or as in one case it wasn't holding barely even any charge on it so we are at the Restart radio show on Resonance 104.4 FM and today we are with Dave and Ten. And I wanted to ask Ten about the repair uh, that he was working on uh, during Remakery. So there were two. The there was a Fairphone, which is, which is interesting because we recently done some Fairphone events with the newest model but uh, I was uh, I helped someone I didn't I, I barely even helped it's, it's, it's great when people come along and they're really keen so a chap came along he had a very small crack personally I wouldn't have I would have dealt uh, I would have considered that crack to be purely cosmetic and I might have just put a screen protector 
on it to hold it. But he like um, he he'd made the choice that he wanted to have. A, a, a nice shiny phone. That, um, so. That's an interesting point. Sometimes repair is not even necessary, and so uh, there are workarounds that might be more convenient and more environmentally friendly than chucking away a part or a whole uh, screen assembly as a result of a tiny crack. But how do we ensure that? it is safe for us to use that we might not really uh, get cut. I think a, a lot of this glass is uh, it, it's shatterproof, so you don't really get shards of it. I've, I've, I'm not sure if you can... I've, I've seen phones that are really cracked up, and it's uh, it, it stops you seeing the screen, but I've, I've yet to see a phone where if you slide your finger across it, you could get cut. Is that, oh, is that a thing? I have seen someone with a cut here. So, oh, wow. That, that really needs to be prevented. <laughs> yeah. So, Ten, you're suggesting that if you apply a screen protector, yeah. that should be fine. So, it's just a, it's a film. You, you, some, you get it quite often on a new phone, but you can buy them in phone shops. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you could, that, you'd be able to get one for a fair phone. Because it's one of the... They do exist. I've seen them on eBay. Ex- yeah, ex- you can find them on, for all kinds of devices. So moving on, actually, uh, we should talk about some of the best stories that came from social media uh, this week. And uh, one story that gained quite a lot of traction was around uh, a certain app uh, draining phones, specifically iPhone batteries, quite a lot. Uh, Dave, what was this about? Okay, um, well, I'll I'll name and shame here. Facebook, apparently, I, I don't own an iPhone, so I can't say, but apparently the Facebook app on iOS was actually draining the battery even when it wasn't being used. So you'd switch it off completely, switch off all the updates, it would still eat through your battery, so you you need to recharge your phone several times a day. <laughs> That's um, quite a lot. Yeah, and this is nothing to do with the phone. I'm sure people were blaming the phone as well because, of course, you know, your phone battery starts discharging. Obviously, it must be something wrong with the phone. Actually, it's this one piece of software which was continually waking up, deciding it had nothing to do and going back to sleep again all the time, even when it didn't need to. Okay, And that's just enough to continue to drain the battery. But now Facebook clearly is such a big deal of an app. That's the one of the top 10 apps in some markets is the number one app uh, that most uh, smartphone users have. But imagine how many other apps are probably doing something similar. Oh, yes. And people start thinking, well, maybe I need a new smartphone as a result of what is essentially lazy software development. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and we see that that was the case because uh, um, just two or three days ago, Facebook actually released a software update quietly without really mentioning anything in the release notes. But then one of their lead developers actually went on, on his Facebook profile and announcing that a certain problem had been fixed. <laughs> But without saying exactly what that problem was, I'm Well, it explained a bit more in detail, but made sure that it wasn't in the official uh, release notes. So it makes you wonder how many more apps are actually potentially making us perceive mm-hmm. our devices as inadequate and potentially push people to think about maybe getting another device as opposed to regaining control of the one they already have. Oh, yeah. One of the things I do occasionally is I just go through all the apps on my phone and think, do I need this? 
you know, because sometimes you'll download an app for a particular purpose and you'll forget about it because it's so easy to do. But if every few months you just flick through all the apps on your phone and think, do I really need that anymore? You know, maybe you've got a railway booking application or a hotel booking application I still had in my case I hadn't used for two years um, because it got me a cheap hotel room for one day. So clean those up and you'll find you get a surprising amount of space and time back on your phone. And Facebook is not new to this. There was criticism last year for the amount of energy um, used by the Facebook app on Android devices. So it's not just about iOS uh, in this case. It's about the number of apps that we run on our devices without us even knowing uh, that they're running at all times and how many of them start up as soon as you start your device. So at times actually completely resetting your phone and starting afresh might actually provide you with uh, unexpected gains in battery life. The other news this week that we found quite worrying and interesting at the same time, it's about the price of metals falling in terms of the recycling world and how that can affect or impact the recycling of uh, electronics. Uh, there's always quite uh, a lot of campaigning around increasing the amount uh, that we recycle. And it's been the same for all kinds of materials, but increasingly quite um, a lot of communication around how electronics recycling is important and how electronic waste uh, needs to be tackled by improving the amount that we recycle. But we read now that actually uh, slow markets in China mean that there is less incentive in terms of uh, giving value to the all the materials that can be recouped from the recycling of electronic waste. And this can kind of reduce the incentives to do proper recycling. Which is interesting because we've always been talking about trying to do everything we can to prolong the lifespan of things and avoid unnecessary recycling when it's not really the right solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for instance, just because you're, I don't know, a good example would be a TV. These days, TVs are very multifunctional. You can use them as computer monitors, all sorts of things. So maybe... If the receiver part of your TV fails, you can still plug your computer into it, right? And finally, when you can't do anything else with it, why not turn it into a piece of art? Hang it on your wall as the example of a classic. You know, if it's old enough to be a classic, otherwise just say, well, you know, that was my favorite phone. And do something with it. You don't have to recycle it necessarily. And, of course, if you are going to recycle it, make sure you do it properly. Yeah. And also at times recycling might not be needed if you can take some parts and resell the parts that still function on another platform. We see all kinds of spare parts available on eBay that come from people taking apart a functioning screen when the rest of the device has gone, for example. Yeah, yeah. So we are getting close to the end of uh, today's show. Uh, we don't have any restart parties happening this weekend here in London, 
But there is a group, the restarters in Leicester, that are actually holding a green festival of making and mending, which will be taking place at Friends Meeting House in Leicester. So anyone interested in joining a festival of repair should head up north this week. We are Restart Radio Show. Uh, it's been a pleasure being with you all. You can find out more about the Restart Project and our upcoming events on our website, www.therestartproject.org, or on Facebook, Restart Project, and Twitter, at Restart Project. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Mm-hmm.